24 years ago this month, the love of God transformed my life. God wooed me in my first term at university. My nan sent me to university with a Bible, uh, a gift that she didn't know, I think, the full meaning of uh, in terms of what it was going to do in my life. She wrote some words in the, uh, the front of that Bible, and God introduced me to a number of Christian people. And over that first month uh, of university, God wooed me, uh, and in his love transformed my life. I was someone, when I went to university, and I can remember the first day, I sat in my room, uh, and I was so shy, I wouldn't go out. Someone came in, and I just started to talk to them, and then someone else came in, And there were three of us in the room and I shut up because what I had to say, I didn't think was worth saying. I had so such a low self-esteem. God transformed my life. Here I am speaking uh, today because of the love that I experienced from God. I don't know if perhaps you're one of those people that doesn't know just how much God loves you. God has a big heart, big enough for all of us, and he loves you. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves God, everyone who loves knows God because God is love. I've been really blessed by the warm welcome I've received here. I think I must have been offered a cup of tea about half a dozen times in the first ten minutes. I perhaps don't need to preach to you about God's love. This morning, but I find that sometimes, often perhaps, it's easy to forget what's at the heart of the gospel. Sometimes we just need to be reminded what's there. There's a thread running through scripture, Old Testament, and summarized in the New, when Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor. As yourself. That, he says, is a summary of scripture. Loving God, loving other people in the same way that you love yourself. And in, in uh, John's gospel, we read of Jesus saying, this is going to be the defining characteristic of the church. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says this is a distinctive. This is what makes us disciples, is our love. So I just want to encourage you and uh, remind you to keep, keep God's love at the centre of all that you do here at Burlington. To let love characterise every aspect of ministry in and through this place. And for that love to motivate you in mission to this city and beyond, all the way to Romania as well. It's easy to let love slip. My childhood experiences of church were, uh, in some ways, not very good. My little sister, we went to a Sunday school uh, at a church, but they didn't have a creche, and my little sister was a baby in arms, uh, and one Sunday this baby, little Deborah, cried uh, quite a bit during the service. And the minister came up to my mum after the service and said, if you can't keep the baby quiet take it out. And as a family, that was the last time we were in church for many, many years. My parents have started, they've retired to Lowestoft uh, and have started going back to church in the last few years. But that was a church that was going through the motions, 
but had lost the sense that love had to be at the heart of what they do. And it's so easy for that to happen, to get caught up with the programs, with the busyness, with all that we're to do in church, to forget that we are here to share God's love. Archbishop William Temple once said uh, that the church is the only organisation set up for the benefit of non-members. I don't think he was right, because I think there are other organisations like the Lifeboat Institute (laughs) that are set up uh, for that purpose, for the benefit of non-members. But it's true that we're here as church to be a witness to the world of the love of God. That's what we are called to be. That church lacked love. And I go around churches, and sometimes it's not that they lack love, it's just that they need to be reminded that it needs to be at the centre of what they're doing. So I'm going to just remind you of a few things and help you think about what it would mean to be a big-hearted church, what it does mean uh, in your living out being a big-hearted church. And in verses 9 and 10, we find uh, the first of these values, as it were, of a big-hearted church. Verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the good news. I'm hoping this is going to work. (laughs) Can you just press the... uh... Thank you. This is the good news. This is the gospel that God loves us, that God sent his son as a sign of that love, as a demonstration of that love, as an atoning sacrifice in love for us. And we are going to be a church if we share that love that tells the gospel. And it will come up on the screen. The first value of a big-hearted church is to be a gospel-telling church. And I'm sure, Simon, I'm confident that you're preaching the gospel from this pulpit uh, week by week. But that isn't the only person, the only place that we are to be preaching this gospel. We need to go where the church isn't and proclaim the good news there. Sometimes, and I I see this in a number of churches, I, 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 as a child, uh, suffered from asthma. God healed me of that. But when you have an asthma attack, you breathe in and you breathe in and you breathe in and you can't breathe out. And I think some of our churches uh, have forgotten how to breathe out. There's Sunday gatherings and there's midweek gatherings and everything is in, 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 and there's no breathing out. A healthy body breathes in and it breathes out, breathes in and breathes out. It's important that we grow deeper in our relationships with God and with one another. But the church has lost what it's about if it doesn't share that love, going out to the places that they find themselves in during the days between Sunday and Sunday. In Matthew 28, 19, we're told to go and make disciples of all nations. And sometimes uh, people have turned that into the great come mission. Come to church, we say. Come to church. But Jesus said at the beginning of that, go, go and make disciples of all nations. Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're all told to go. Go. We need to be people that go and tell the gospel. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I want to pray that you might have beautiful feet. (laughs) 
that you'll be those that are going, taking the gospel, telling the gospel, telling stories of how God's love has transformed you. I encourage, uh, sometimes people find it difficult to share their testimony. I encourage people to think of six words uh, that tell their testimony. Mine is silence, God spoke, speaking for him. That's, who, that's what I was. I told you the story. Silence, God spoke, speaking for him. And when people, uh, you'd say that, and they want to know more, they want to hear the story. What is your testimony of what God has done and is doing in your life? How has God's love transformed you? People may argue with what they find in the Bible. But when you tell your experience of how God is real and active and working in your life, how you are a recipient of his love, they cannot argue with that. We need to be gospel-telling churches. I'm going to read verses 12 to 16 and just read it over uh, quickly, but you'll hear uh, a phrase that comes up a number of times. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. We know that we live in him and he lives in us because he's given us of his spirit. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. There's a couple of words that are used a lot there. Live and love. And the second value of a big-hearted church, uh, and you're going to have to remember these because they're not coming up on the screen, (laughs) Uh, gospel-telling, gospel-dwelling. Gospel-dwelling. We need to be people that don't just tell people of God's love. We need to be people that live in and live out the love of God. Buildings are great, aren't they? This is a wonderful church building. But I found in the church where I was in local ministry, we moved out of our chapel uh, on its 200th anniversary uh, and we moved into a school. And I found uh, in that act that people get very attached to buildings. (laughs) Uh, And uh, it's easy to think about this being God's house. But this is God's house. When God's people gather uh, together in his name, They become the dwelling place of the living God, the creator of the universe. When we are out scattered in the places that we find ourselves in during the week, we remain the dwelling places of the living God, the creator of the universe. Some of our churches have got an Old Testament mentality that we come to church, that God dwells here and we meet him on a Sunday. God meets us here and We go with him. He goes with us into the places that we find ourselves. We need to live in and live out. Our lives need to speak of this being the dwelling place of God. That when people talk about Burlington Baptist Church, they don't talk about the building, they talk about the people and the distinctive love that these people have. That's what we want for our churches to be described, not by the building, but by the people, by the lives We read Acts 2 uh, in the verses 42 to 47 where we hear the change at Pentecost after the Spirit came. At Jesus' death, the curtain was ripped in two, temple worship came to an end, and at Pentecost the Spirit came and the dwelling place of God was in his people. 
They devoted themselves to the teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily uh, to those who were being saved. The way we are as church proclaims, demonstrates the message that we use our lips to tell. The in and the out. We meet together, but our lives also represent uh, what God is doing amongst us. Chris Duffett was Baptist Union president a couple of years ago, and he's a a street preacher, a street evangelist, and... uh, uh, he, he doesn't preach in the way that you normally see street preachers preaching. He sits on a sofa in the middle of the city square uh, with a sign saying, I will listen. He doesn't use words through a loud hailer. He invites people to come and experience the love of God in a God who is concerned for them. People meet God in the way that we are. We are called to live in and live out the love of God. Hey, we're there. Gospel telling, gospel dwelling. The third value of a big-hearted church is a church that glows with God's glory. Because when we go and we meet people, they need to see something different about us. We want to glow with the glory of God. I don't know if any of you have come across the writer, uh, Shane Claiborne. Uh, he's uh, someone... In the States, he wears a and bandana, makes his own clothes. He's a bit of a Christian hippie, really. And he went to visit Mother Teresa a number of years ago when she was still alive and working in Calcutta. Uh, and he talks about the story. He says he went to see Mama T. Uh, and uh, when he came back, his friends were saying, so what's she like, this Mother Teresa? And he stopped and thought about it. And he said, you know, it's really difficult to say because whenever I looked at her, I saw Jesus. <laughs> There was something about her that just glowed with God's glory that you didn't notice her, you just noticed Jesus in her. Wouldn't it be great if people could look at us and say, I can see Jesus in him. I can see Jesus in her. Verse 17, powerful verse. Because in this world, we are like him. Wow. (laughs) In this world, we are like him. That... That's a challenge. When we go and people don't know Christ, they meet him in us. Or that is our hope and our prayer, that they meet him in us. Because in this world, we are like him. Glory glowing. We want to see God seen in us. Again, at Pentecost, I don't know if you've seen paintings of Pentecost and they've got little flames above their head. Uh, I think makes them a bit look a bit like candles. Uh, the disciples, as they have the, the 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 presence of God, this Holy Spirit, come and dwell upon them. But I think that's a great picture that we're called to shine uh, for God, to be people whose lives glow with the glory of God. What about Moses? Story of Moses, who went up uh, onto the mountain to meet uh, with God. It says when he came down, having met with God. 
his face glowed. He was radiant. He had to put a veil on because the people couldn't stand the fact that he was glowing so much with the glory of God. One of the Psalms says, those who look to God are radiant. I don't know where you meet God. Hopefully you meet him in this place as we gather and worship together uh, as you do that Sunday by Sunday here. But I hope that you're meeting him in places during the week. Whether that's listening to a Christian CD in the car, whether it's going for a walk uh, along the waterfront or somewhere pleasant where you can meet God in his creation, whether it's sitting in silence with a lit candle as you open the word day by day, wherever it is that you meet God, go back to that place again and again that you might be like Moses, radiant because you've been in the presence of God, that as you go about your daily life, people would notice that you have been up the mountain in the presence of God, dipping into that well of love, that you might have something to share with those around you. May you be people that are radiant in this town. Gospel telling. Gospel dwelling, glory glowing. Verses 18 and 20. We love God because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Those verses describe grace. The love that God has for us is described as grace, amazing grace. Our God is a big-hearted God who loves us even though we don't deserve his love. And our churches need to be places that are characterized by grace. My parents' experience in that church was one that was distinctive by its lack of grace. And you do find churches where grace is lacking, where toddler groups, I've, I've heard this story, grieves me that church secretary came in toddler group, all these uh, parents and children who are in the church uh, during the week and the secretary comes in and complains about plasticine on the carpet. Distinct lack of grace. And what about the people in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, who we struggle with? Maybe people in church. When I uh, was in a church, I'm not going to tell you which church, uh, there was a guy called John and John had this habit of being really annoying. Um, I'm sure there's no one like that here. Um, who, whenever something was going on in the church, they would complain and they would moan. Um, John would just find some reason to have a go. And uh, I was sharing this with a friend for prayer, you know, the way you do. Um, <laughs> and uh, I said what this guy was like. And this friend said to me, what? He's your grace grower. He's your grace grower. And she explained a bit more. She said, grace is like a muscle. It needs practice. And God has allowed this person into your life in order that you might grow in grace. That you might practice grace. That you might demonstrate grace. Our churches need to be churches that are growing in grace, that are practicing being gracious to others. You know, there are 
people in our communities whose lifestyles we might not agree with. All sorts of conversations in church about how we respond to various issues in life today. We need to respond as Jesus responded. Jesus, the one who spent his time with tax collectors, who hung around with prostitutes. Jesus, the one who reaches out to those on the margins that feel disconnected. We need to be people that are reaching out with grace. I don't know about your life, but my life was messy and in corners still is quite messy. But God loved me anyway. That's grace. The people we meet, may their lives may be messy. They may not be as we want them. And yet we're called to reach out to them with grace. Because it's in this place, in this community, a community that is characterized by grace, that people find the space and the love and the grace to be transformed. It's within the church that God is at work amongst his people, making them more and more like Christ. We reach out with grace, and as we draw people into the community of God's family, their lives are transformed. God starts to work out that mess, but we're called to love uh, unconditionally. We're called to reach out with grace. A big-hearted church is going to be gospel-telling, gospel-dwelling, glory-glowing, grace-growing. You see what I'm doing here with all the Gs? <laughs> the last one is going to be generously giving. He's given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. This is how we know that we love, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Being recipients of God's awesome love, we are commanded to imitate it. Freely we've received, so freely we give. So we're called to be generously giving. We're called to be loving. We're called to share this love with others. But I don't know about you, but I have found that love isn't easy. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it all of the time. And yet, love is difficult. It's costly. It's sacrificial. After the 7-7 bombings, the Queen said, grief is the price of love. When we love people, we allow ourselves to be hurt by people. Parents know this. When they love children, they invest in their children, and then you tell them to tidy their room, and they say they hate you. (laughs) Pastors know this. When you love people, And spend time with people and they make the same mistake they've made before. They make it again. They do something which you know is going to hurt them in the long run. You love them and because you love them, it hurts you when they do something that isn't what God intended for them. Love is costly and we are called to be generous because that is the sort of love that we are seeking to imitate The love that Christ showed upon the cross that gave everything to demonstrate how much God loved us. I've seen churches be truly generous. Now, sometimes that's in giving things away free to their uh, community. We did a lot of that where I was, a church called Renew. When we were in a school, we used to hire a van and drive to Ikea, invite the neighbourhood to go. I don't know if you've ever been to Ikea and bought so much stuff that you can't get it in the back of the car. 
we, we said we're going to you know, stop that problem, we're going to hire a van, we're going to drive with you, we'll have a meal at Ikea, you do your shopping and we'll drive back. We used to hire skips in the spring uh, and let the neighbours know they could come and dump, do their spring cleaning and dump their stuff in the skip. At my ordination, I love ice cream, and it was my pleasure to say at my ordination, the ice creams are on me, a bit like the Milky Bar kid. Um, and uh, we gave away free ice creams to anyone that was there. People find it hard to receive a free gift. I don't know if you've ever tried that. And people want to give you something in return. Want to give you something. That's a message there of the gospel. People find it hard to receive the love of Christ. (laughs) It was costly for him, but it's free to us. (laughs) People find it hard to accept a free gift. But I've seen generosity in other ways. That church I was telling you about, that used to be low chapel, became renewed when we moved to the school. We had a series of church meetings where that was decided upon. And uh, the first meeting, uh, people were saying, we love our old chapel, we don't want to move. Uh, and at the third meeting, they were saying, we love our old chapel, we don't want to move. But we've realized that God is wanting us to move. And we're going to go. I've seen churches that are generous by giving up something that's familiar to them, that's precious to them in order to be obedient to God. He asks us to do that as churches. He asks us to do that in our own life, that we might give up something which is safe and comfortable in order to go in a new direction, in order to be obedient to what God is calling us to do, in order to fulfill the mission that we have. Churches, there's a church down in Polzeth, which was down to three old ladies, a Methodist church, and they gave the church away to surfers, Christian surfers who are now reaching the young people on that beach. At last Easter, there were 200 people in that church. Those lady, it's got a half pipe. I think that's right. I'm not a skateboard. It's got a half pipe where the altar used to be. Those older ladies maybe didn't expect that, but they were generous for the sake of the kingdom. That's what we're called to be: gospel telling, gospel dwelling, glory glowing, grace growing, and generously giving churches. Let me pray. I'm sure you are many in all of these things, but let me pray that you might be more of all of these things. Father, we thank you for the love that you've shown us. Thank you that even when we didn't deserve that love, you chose to love us anyway. You chose to count the cost and love us anyway. Father, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would stir us, that you would help us to know more and more of your love, that we might be people who share more and more of that love in who we are and what we do. Lord, by your spirit, fill us, Lord, we pray, that we might be your servants in sharing your big heart for this world. Amen.